Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello. So good to see you've returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. I've got something special for you. I know you like to look around, but here's a little curious thing that I think you'll be quite interested in. Uh, let me pull this off the shelf and set this in front of you. Now, it may look like a lantern from days of yore, uh, maybe uh, from the 1800s, 1700s, but there's something special about this lamp. Uh, if we fill it with oil and light it, it is a lamp that will guide you. Yes, it will guide you to the future of horror. And it's a lamp that will shine a light on a new film from the Shutter streaming service. So let's pull out the mutoscope and shine a light on a horror noir. Now, if you look back at one of our previous episodes, I believe it was the August 26th episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, we did an episode on the documentary Horror Noir. Of course, Shudder put out the documentary Horror Noir 2019. I believe it was based off the it was based off the nonfiction book Horror Noir: Blacks and American Horror Films from the 1890s to Present by uh, Robin R. Means Coleman. I had to say that the uh, Horror Noir documentary was very enlightening, very eye-opening, made me look at horror in a different way, it helped me to see how horrors proceed from uh, uh, another person's perspective, and I really enjoyed it, and it really opened my eyes up to a lot of things that maybe I kind of uh, had a passing glance at in the horror world, but decided I needed to take a, a second look at. And like I said, very eye-opening documentary. So I was excited to see that Shudder was doing an anthology series of sorts uh, based off a of horror noir called Horror Noir. Now, when they first came out with this and talked about an anthology series, I was under the impression, uh, right or wrongly so, uh, I thought this was going to be a an episodic show where each episode of a season was going to have a different story. And the, the thing I love about this and this concept behind the Horror Noir anthology series is that it was going to be stories based on stories based on black authors and horror. Uh, it was going to be black directors, uh, black cast, and, you know, it really shine a light on the contributions of the black American community towards horror uh, because there are so many great ones. And I thought this was going to be a show where each episode was going to be a different story from a different author. Uh, it, I don't know if that was the original intention, but it turned out they didn't do it that way for whatever reason. And, and I'll talk about my thoughts on doing an anthology movie as opposed to an anthology series like show. Uh, I'll talk about that a little later. But they decided to do it as a movie. And this, this movie, Horror Noir, features six stories. And 
each story by uh, a black author uh, in horror and black directors and, and so on. You know, like I said, the, the, the whole premise behind doing this anthology, which uh, I, I, regardless of whether it was a show or a film, I was quite excited to check this out because I'm always looking for new voices in horror and new stories to be told. And when you have somebody that does things from a different perspective, you get a different perspective on whatever it is, horror, fantasy, sci-fi. So I I was all in with this and very excited uh, once it finally came out. And when it did come out, I was counting the days (laughs) until I had uh, a moment where I could sit down and watch it. So uh, I got to watch Horror Noir here uh, a little while ago. It was kind of uh, one of those situations where uh, we were so backed up from October. October had so many things come out uh, (laughs) that uh, I watched it, but I've had to wait a couple weeks to actually do this episode uh, of Odds Bodkins. Uh, So again, it was one of those situations where I was so excited. Excited to finally get a chance to sit down and watch Horror Noir, the anthology movie. And then, then it was like I had to wait and got so excited to be able to talk about it. Because first off, first and foremost, I really enjoyed this movie. Every story to me was either a great story, a good story, or had the potential to be great and could have used a little something. And we'll, we'll kind of talk and we'll get into the breakdown uh, of each individual story and where it came from, and who directed it, and all of that. Uh, and I'll, like I've been trying to do l- more lately, uh, I'm going to try not to be too spoilery, because I really want you to be able to to check this out, and, and watch this, and enjoy it, without having too many things spoiled for you. So we're going to talk about uh, basic plots, we're going to talk about the, the stories, and some of the themes behind the stories, and like I said, try not to be too spoilery with this. But when you're you're talking about uh, the the Black American community and their culture, you've got a lot of themes in this. I mean, there's black authors, black directors. They want to tell uh, a black story. Some of these stories did that very well. They did it without you know me as a, a middle aged white guy. Uh, they did it in a way that even a white guy could sit here and enjoy it and, and enjoy the horror and enjoy a good story and not feel like I can't relate. Now, some of the stories, one in particular was a little heavy handed with some of the themes, but but really, I think all these stories had a, a story that can or a theme that could speak to the black community. But I think in a broader sense, a themes that can speak to all of us. And and that I thought was a, a great triumph of a lot of these stories. But, you know, this, this talks about fatherhood. Uh, womanhood, community, uh, cults, and and racism. These are all things that it doesn't matter what the color of your skin is, uh, what your religion, race, or creed is. These are all subjects that we can all relate to. And I I think that's the important thing. I I would like to get to a day where we don't have to showcase uh, a certain race's perspective and horror because I'd like society to get to a point. I'd like horror to get to a point where it's got so many different views all front and center that we don't feel like this group is left out or that group is left out because there's so much room for so many great ideas. And there's a lot of great ideas right now that uh, aren't being seen. And and like I'd like to get to a day where it, it doesn't matter what uh, a person's skin color is, that all of these great ideas for, for horror and fantasy and sci-fi are, are readily available 
for all of us to to view or to read or to you know listen to. I think an anthology film like this uh, is making great strides towards making these black voices heard and all of these uh, different themes that uh, these black voices are are trying to put out there and show people and and say, hey, this is. This is our experience. And I think a lot of people will be surprised to find that they're not just black experiences. I mean, some of them are. I mean, some of the themes of racism are very much something that I can't relate to. But but there's a lot of themes that I, I can relate to. And I think we can all relate to a lot of these universal themes. So a lot to dig into and a lot to unpack as far as themes goes. I'm, I'm going to try not to get too in-depth with all of that. I'll let you be the judge of, of what the theme is uh, of these individual stories and and how it affects you but uh, the first installment the first story in this probably one of the best ways to kick this off because I truly uh, enjoyed this and and I've got to say right off the bat a lot of these authors I haven't had a chance to read I don't get to read as much these days as I used to uh, way back in the day just with so many things my day job with uh, doing this podcast other little side gigs I've got uh, I'm just uh, married over a year now so we're still you know working on getting our place after a renovation all that jazz uh, no excuse I should read more but but this is uh, really great because it really opened my eyes to a lot of authors that uh, I didn't know were out there and and that are writing great stories that I really dig and so you know a lot of these authors I'm gonna search out after this I want to read more from some of them but this this first one is actually an author I have read and I did read this story uh, the story is called the lake now the story is by Tanana Reeve Dew, and I believe her and her husband Stephen Barnes they did the the screenplay for this. The episode is directed by Joe West, so this one I can actually come at from a an angle where I've read the the short story and I've seen this adaptation of it and, and do a little compare and contrast. But really, right off the bat, the players in this Leslie Ann Brandt she plays the the main character in this Abby Lafleur and she's a teacher from Boston and goes down to Florida to teach. I don't know if they really spell it out in the adaptation, but I know in the short story, she's there to teach like summer school, do a summer term down there before coming back to to Boston. One of the things that you really got in the short story that I didn't, I, I didn't get, I mean, you got subtle hints of it in the adaptation was that uh, one, she's, she's divorced and that she may have an eye for younger guys. And and she's got this house on this lake. In the short story, it's a little different than the adaptation. Because in the adaptation, she's told right off the bat, nobody swims in this lake in the summertime. And it's very much common knowledge in that area. You don't swim in the lake in the summertime. And of course she does. And that's kind of where things fall apart because uh, it, it really, uh, again, I, it wasn't very obvious in the adaptation. Whereas it, you know, everything is not spelled out for you, but you get a better sense of what's going on in the short story. But Abby starts to change and she has a, a young student come help her with the maintenance of her place. 
And eventually, you know, that puts him in harm's way. And the one of the things that I, I didn't really get from the adaptation that I did get from the short story. Now, the short story is great. Uh, I encourage everyone to check it out because if you want any of your questions answered that may have been left from the adaptation, uh, they're going to be answered in the short story. Tanana Reeve do a uh, spectacular short story and a spectacular writer with this i when i watched it i couldn't tell if what happened to abby was something that was already in her or because she went in the lake but she goes through a, a bit of a transformation uh, both physically and in the book it's even more so a mental thing as well but uh I have to tell you, this was such a great story because uh, a great story to kick off this anthology movie because it it had a little bit of body horror, it had a, a bit of suspense, uh, you re a mystery, what's going on, and then the end of it was just pure. It's the stuff of horror. It's the stuff of good water-based horror movies. And uh, I, I found this such a fun, pure horror story to to kick things off. Now, there are some racial undertones. Uh, they don't really spell it out so much in the adaptation, but I know in the short story, Abby is a lighter-skinned black woman who faces that daily kind of subtle bigotry of people trying to figure out just how black is she? That sort of thing. So so there are some racial notes to this, but it really didn't feel like a metaphor for anything. This was just, like I said, this was just a good straight up horror story to kick things off. And I, I thought it was a, a brilliant way to kick off what turned out to be a, a, a great collection of short horror. The second episode in this, not the weakest story for me, uh, because it did have some great elements to it. But this one, I mean, if you're talking about racial themes, this probably was the most heavy-handed of all of them. Uh, the story is called Brand of Evil. It's written by Ezra Clayton Daniels. The director was Julian Christian Lutz. And we follow this, this young artist played by Brandon McHale Smith. And he is painting this mural for this community center. I don't, I can't remember if it was a community center or, or like a, a food bank, but he's doing this for his community. And he all of a sudden gets a phone call from somebody that's seen his work, seen his work on this mural. And this person is offering him ridiculous amounts of money to create a logo using some sort of symbol that he, he gives him the, the dimensions that he wants in this. And all the guy's got to do is create this on his computer, uh, send it to the guy, and he's got thousands of dollars wired to him right away. And we find that there's a price. And, and this story, I, I can't give too much away as to what's going to happen. But uh, I will say that this is definitely a story that uh, plays off the themes of community. And uh, I know the one line that uh, somebody said is, you know, you know, this young man, this young artist asks this woman who's running this community center, why does the black community uh, always push community? And, and she says something about how white people have uh, systems set up to, to protect them, you know, in the black American community, all they've got is community. 
you've got this uh, scene. I think it's one of the first scenes where we've got this young artist uh, painting this mural and this guy comes up to him and it talks about him being a, a bougie black man. And there's a lot of pressure in, in the black community to when you make it to give back to your community. And I think that's, I think that's one, it's a good thing, but there's a lot of pressure to, you know, to one, make it and, and two, to automatically not think of yourself first and and think of your community and give back to the community. And I think there was also some other themes of being a black man or woman in a, a white man's world and not so much selling your soul for the white man's dollar sort of situation. But at the very end of this, it does play into uh, quite literally the white devil. It, like I said, it, it was probably the most heavy handed uh, of all of the stories when it comes to to race. And that I didn't even mind. I just thought I would like to read the short story because I I thought the adaptation of it was a little not hokey, but when you see what happens when this artist creates these symbols and how that is brought to life, so to speak, and how it turns this whole story into a horror story, uh, it, it, it seemed a little odd and very heavy-handed in the symbolism of it all. Now, I, I will say this is uh, probably one of the most well-acted stories. Uh, you know, like I said, Brandon Michael Smith uh, did a fantastic job. I, I didn't catch the name of the guy that plays his boyfriend. Did a fantastic job. The woman that runs the community center. Just every, This was such a well-acted uh, story. <laughs> Until you find the guy who is behind all these phone calls. Uh, the actor they got for him was a little over the top, a little a uh, little too snidely whiplashy uh, caricature of a white villain for my liking. It just kind of seemed hokey. And, and this story already had elements, or at least the adaptation, I should say, had elements of hokiness. Uh, like I said, I would really love to read the story uh, because I, I'm sure what what happens with these symbols and these uh, designs that this artist creates, uh, I'm sure it plays better in the theater of the mind than it does actually on the screen. So not my favorite story, but still a story that uh, has, you know, interesting messages, uh, interesting conversation starters. And like I said, a very well acted story and, and, and the direction as well. I, I thought it was well directed. I just didn't care for, uh, some of the elements of the story and the special effects weren't as good as uh, it just seemed a little special effects on a budget. The third story in this anthology is Bride Before You. And this was this was one of those stories that one was more character driven, more story driven. The horror really doesn't come until the end. But it's such an interesting story that I felt engaged. And uh, again, this is another one where I didn't, I haven't read the short story yet. And I really want to because I've heard the short story is even more horrific than the adaptation even showed. So so I'm really interested to, to check this out. The short story is by Stephanie Malia Morris. Shernold Edwards did the screenplay. And this is directed by Zendashe Brown. This story kind of takes place in the Reconstruction era uh, after the Civil War. 
Uh, you've got this main character, uh, this protagonist, played by Lenora Critchlow. Uh, she marries a rich businessman, and he really is putting the pressure on her to bear a male heir. I mean, this was really the time when uh, male heirs were the next in line. They're not having any success with her bearing a child, so he's taken up lovers, and she goes to an old old woman who is a practitioner of voodoo, and she makes a deal with her to to be able to have a child and she asks that the the child favor her who is uh more of a, a light-skinned black woman as opposed to her hundred husband who is darker skin and of course she has this child and things things kind of get uh, off the rails from there <laughs> things start happening in the house they always chalk it up to animals in the walls and that is quasi true as you'll find out in the end but the title of the story, Bride Before You, kind of plays off that old notion that of that time when children were born, the older children had to be married off in succession and you couldn't skip. You couldn't skip a child, you know, the middle child couldn't get married before the eldest child. And and that all comes into to play as we find out what's in the walls and what actually happened when this woman gave birth to her child. Again, this is a, a story that I really would love to to read the short story because I, I've heard it is more horrific. The more horror is played in it. And and I could see where that could be the case. Because this one this one suffered from uh, such a great story and had a lot of of great actors and actresses it just could have used a bigger budget when you get to the the horrific part at the end if they had a, a little bit more money to play with to work with some some better practical effects some better special effects maybe a little better cg i think that would have really dialed up the the fright and the horror in this story. But this story also plays on a, a lot of themes. Of course, you get themes of womanhood and you know what it meant to be a woman in the 19th century, late 19th century. Back then, women had their quote-unquote place, and of course, the expectations of a woman to, to bear uh, a certain gender of child, which they had no control of, was was quite uh, quite great and quite mounting, I'm sure. And then, of course, there's the racial implications where, you know, she wants her child to be light-skinned because he's afraid if he's uh, a darker-skinned uh, black man that he'll have a harder way in the world. There's a lot about motherhoodness and, and a mother's love and a mother's worry for their child and, and and wanting the best for their child in spite of everything. There's a lot of metaphor going on here. And of course, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of women are really going to gain a lot of this. And, and for a guy watching this and seeing the the implications of, of womanhood and, and what that means, especially for a, a woman of color, uh, it, it was an eye-opening story. And, you know, it's one of those stories that make you think after it's all said and done. After, after the horror has subsided, then, you, you know, it really gives you pause to think about things. And, and that's, I think that's a triumph of any story right there. The fourth story in this anthology was Fugue State. Uh, another story written by uh, Tanana Reeve Dew and her husband Stephen Barnes, uh, directed by Rob Greenlee, and this was another one that was was pretty much a just a straight up horror. 
Um, it, it did delve into themes of cults and how easily it is to get sucked into a cult. Maybe not cults like like we think of or, or like are portrayed in this story. The ones that are going around killing people, the ones that are, you know, going to Jonesboro and mass suicide cults, things like that. Uh, you know, cults can seem more benign than that, but uh, they're still cults. And you see this couple played by Rachel True. Uh, you may remember her from The Craft. Also, Malcolm Barrett uh, plays her husband. And another one where the acting was just superb in this one. Uh, I really enjoyed the actors uh, because they really get, it felt like they were a couple. And they were so natural together. And they had such great chemistry on screen that you really related to them. And, and you cared about them right away. And that's, to me, any good horror story, you have to care about the protagonist uh, or else they don't, you know, their uh, impending doom doesn't hold as much weight. And I really cared about the, these two characters uh, played by Rachel True and, and Malcolm Barrett. I, I thought they did a, a fantastic job as far as the acting goes. But uh, Malcolm Barrett's character is investigating a local church because he writes books on cults and and what makes cults and, and all these. And he ties cults to religion a little too much for his wife's liking. But he's investigating this church and he goes to this church and he comes back different. Uh, he comes back changed and and she notices it. And all of a sudden, he's not the man that she thought she knew, which really speaks. I mean, this is more of a supernatural thing, but it really spoke to how people that get tied up at cults actually do change for the ones that love them. And we finally see Rachel True's character go to this church with her husband to try and see what's going on. And now there's kind of a side story that I wasn't sure. Like I said, I would love to read the story to see, get a little more insight. But there are these people running around with red. I don't know if it's supposed to be paint or could even be blood. Uh, smeared all over their face and committing acts of violence, killing people even. The idea is, I think, that they're tied to this cult that Malcolm Barrett's character investigates. And like I said, Rachel True goes with him to this church to see what has happened to her husband. And then we get the big payoff that really makes this a horror story. And, and one of the brilliant things of this is that we find out the leader of this church and we've heard his voice. We, you hear his voice throughout the, the little episode, but I didn't put two and two together until I saw him. But Tony Todd makes a cameo brilliantly as the leader of this church and this, this cult figure. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, he's such a, an iconic figure in horror. Of course, with his work with Candyman and uh, some of the other things he's done since then, that it was just really cool to see Tony Todd show up in this. But this, again, was uh, another one that it was just, uh, just a pure, straight-up horror story. And uh, a story that was well done from a directing standpoint, from a writing standpoint, uh, from an acting standpoint. And you did get uh, themes. Uh, maybe they weren't so much uh, of the racial kind, but this is a theme, cults and religion, that anybody 
can can really relate to and that's that that's the one thing i really liked about this is that this was definitely a universally relatable theme that that made you made you think and it made you open your eyes to the world around you and uh, probably one of my favorite another one of my favorite stories uh the two uh tanana Rivdu, uh stephen barnes stories were probably two of my favorites two of the best uh speaking of the best uh, another great story number five in this anthology movie was uh victor laval who is uh, you know he's got such a big name in horror unfortunately i've never read any of this stuff uh, it's one of those authors names that I, I always hear but i just have never taken the time to read his work and this story daddy is going to change that because i'm going to i'm going to seek him out because i want to read this short story i want to read more of his works because this was a really interesting story and the the cool thing is uh actor now now director uh she started directing last year robin givens uh was behind the camera on this and really uh did a spectacular job it makes me want to see her direct more things because i thought she did a really good job and another one where you've got a, a great story you've got a, a good director and you've got a good actor because luke james plays the father in this and he's taking care of his son and he keeps having run-ins with this old man uh in the park in the in the elevator and he's confronted by this old man about protecting his son and it really delves into a, a lot of themes of fatherhood and the paths you have to take. You can either protect your kid, but then it even delves into overprotection. Uh, there's also kind of themes of the other path you can take, which is uh, to be more abusive. And a lot of it, it really was an embodiment of a lot of the struggles that young fathers uh, face, no matter what, you know, whether it's in the black community or the white community or, or any other uh, races community. I mean, I think all young fathers have that internal struggle sometimes. You know, sometimes the fatherhood comes naturally to to young dads, but but I know there's a lot of young fathers out there that it doesn't come so easy, especially young fathers that didn't have good uh, father figures growing up. And I think this really delved into the the choices that one has to make, and sometimes the fight. Uh, figuratively, but in this case, even sometimes literally, that one has to make with themselves to make sure that you're doing the right thing by your kid and you're there for your kid to protect them. And this uh, really had such a great story, like I said, that it didn't really have to have a lot of horror throughout it. I mean, the end was horrific and the end had a great kind of confrontation that all this builds up to and and we see the results of this confrontation but it was one of those stories where i i didn't have to have a ton of horror throughout it because the story was engaging in and of itself luke james as an actor was engaging and the kid was as cute as a button and uh, and everything played well that i didn't have to have a uh, bunch of jump scare after jump scare. I didn't have to have a bunch of creepy things after creepy things. Uh, yeah, I cared about these characters so much that when it finally got to the the horror portion of the story, you know, I didn't need that until that moment, uh, and it, it built to that moment quite nice. And there again, uh, 
you got to tip your hat to you know the writing and and director Robin Givens did a spectacular job in that regard and again one of my favorite stories in this anthology uh, and we wrap up the anthology film with the episode Sundown directed by uh, Kimani Ray Smith uh, written by Al Leston the two main actors in this Tone Bell and Eric Ash <laughs> they did a good job. This was more of a comedic horror story. And I, you know, I've gone on the record as saying I don't like having uh, horror uh, mixed with my comedy. That may be how it is taken. Uh, it's not that I don't like horror and comedy intermingling. I hate when something is supposed to be a straight up horror and you've got somebody busting jokes in the middle of what's supposed to be a scary scene. That's what I have problems with. Now, I, I do love when horror and comedy are intermingled. Uh, some of the Return of the Living Dead uh, <laughs> 1 and 2, some great horror comedy. It, it can be played as satire, and, and I think that's fun. I think that really, you know, horror can be a great metaphor for things, and satire can be a great metaphor for things. And when you can combine horror and comedy i i don't want my horror comedic all the time but every once in a while it's a nice tension breaker and it's just something fun to watch and that really is what uh, sundown was it was a fun story it didn't start off that way it started off fairly fairly straight up it's uh, of course these two characters played by Tone Bell and, and Erica Ash, they're canvassers. And there was a group of canvassers in, I believe, West Virginia, this small town. Nobody is around. They can't get to anybody until they finally get to this this one house where a young girl answers the door and, and a little bit of comedy ensues and a, a bit of racism ensues. And, and we get to see what, you know, is the stereotypical... Uh, West Virginia redneck, uh, that sort of thing. But this group comes back together and, and they're horrified that uh, they can't find anybody in this town. So they stop into the post office and uh, even more horrific on a reality level, there is a sign up that essentially says uh, black people are not welcome in this town after sundown. And that, that was a thing back back in the day, sundown uh, laws and sundown towns where you couldn't be a black man or woman out on the street or even within city limits after sundown. Uh, they talked about that and they played uh, into that with Lovecraft Country. Uh, series on HBO. So that even in of itself is, is a horrific thing. And then to realize that, hey, it's almost sundown and we've got these two black characters, black protagonists, uh, the rest of the group that are, are canvassing are, are white people. And what is going to happen to them once sun goes down? And we find out that once sun goes down, that's where things get really weird and really strange and, and conversely, very funny. Uh, you get some, some great comedy because they're invited into the town that, uh, you know, those, those laws, they should have taken down those signs years ago. They thought they'd taken them down and they get invited to this big dinner and they find out that pork and beef are not on the menu, so to speak. And then we get uh, this group of people, especially our two protagonists, uh, fighting for their lives. Uh, it, it really was funny because uh, the uh, Erica Ash, her character is uh, 
a veteran. Uh, she's done tours in, in, I can't remember if it's Afghanistan or Iraq, but, uh, you know, she's a, she's a military woman, but she's also very much kind of the voice in the audience saying, don't go in there. Don't go down in that dark basement. Don't walk into that dark room. She is kind of that voice that is ripping on everybody who makes a horrible decision as people in horror movies, uh, often do. I always subscribe to the idea that people in horror movies don't know they're in a horror movie so that's why they do uh, stupid things and scream kind of ruined all that for for us but at any rate uh, but she is that voice uh, saying why are we doing this uh, <laughs> it's a spooky guy with a violin why are we following him which made for for some some good entertainment but you know she uses her military skills to, to knuckle down and and fight back uh, along with her husband and really was an interesting story a fun story fun horror is uh you know great and i kind of like this as the final uh installment in this anthology series because you you had things kick off with the lake which was just a, a great straight up horror story you had a, a few uh, a couple really good straight-up horror stories. You had stories that really were, were very metaphor-driven, but this was such a fun way to to end this movie that uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought Kimani Ray Smith uh, did a great job with the uh, the directing. It was a well-directed uh, episode. Al Leston, uh, a fantastic screenplay uh, on this because... It's it's nothing but fun horror comedy, and uh, I I really enjoyed this uh, this final episode in this horror anthology, and that really sums up my my whole feelings on this movie. Is that it was it was a great movie. Um, I really enjoyed all the different types of you get very differing levels of horror in this. Some were straight up horror, some were horror with a message, some were a little more uh, heavy handed with the themes. Uh, you had some fun. It was just a good mix of stories uh, from a lot of great authors and a lot of great directors and a lot of great actors. It just every every story was engaging. Uh, now, some worked a little better than others, I thought, but but all in all, I thought every story was engaging and every story had acting and directing that at least kept me interested in what was going on, even if the story was a little lackluster, uh, one in particular that I, I just didn't it just didn't work for me, but I really did enjoy this as a whole. And that was one of the things that I, I was a little confused. I really thought this was supposed to be like a, a series where each episode was going to be a different story. And I was a little surprised when I found out, well, no, it wasn't going to be that this was going to be an anthology movie. I, I really think it would have worked better as a anthology series, a, a episodic series, because one, you could have given some of these stories felt like they ended abruptly. Some of these stories felt like they could have been fleshed out a little more. And if you gave them, you know, this was still a very long movie. It was at least two hours, maybe a little bit longer than two hours. And you still didn't, you know, with six stories, you still didn't have enough time uh, for some of them. If you would have done uh, six episode season, each story gets its own episode. 
you know, you can run it 40 minutes to an hour long episode, which, you know, uh, whatever the story dictates, but it would all, it would give you the time to really flesh out some of these stories a little more and expand upon them. Uh, there again, some of the, some of the stories that were a little needed to be a little more visual effects and special effects driven needed the, the money to do that. But as far as time goes, it would have been nice to see uh, some of these episodes, uh, some of these stories given a little more time to really flesh out the story, uh, expand on the story, show the story in its entirety. Again, I've only read one of these stories, and I know that one, uh, The Lake, while it was a good adaptation, there was a lot that I felt could have been added to it that the short story had that uh, you could have not drawn things out, but kind of explain things a little more. You would have had a little more time to to really dive into the characters and, and the situations and not feel like some things were a little truncated. And, and I got to imagine that's probably the case for a lot of these stories. Uh, again, I haven't read all of them, but I will be reading all of them because, like I said, this really introduced me to a lot of great authors that I want to I wanna check out more of their work. And I think that's really the the whole idea behind the horror noir anthology series. Now I'm assuming I've heard this in terms of a series, so I'm I'm assuming we're going to get more horror noir anthology movies in the coming years. I hope so because this was, like I said, uh, a great way to introduce people to authors and filmmakers and actors that they may not have been privy to without this sort of platform on Shudder. And, you know, Shudder is a streaming service for horror fans. And I know for me personally, I don't care what anyone's skin color is. I just want good horror stories. And this really opened up a door to a lot of great horror authors and filmmakers. And I I think, you know, this was a great triumph as far as the initial horror noir anthology film and i I look forward to to many more in the future so next time we get one of these we'll be talking about it again but until then i encourage you to check it out if you don't have shutter it's not you know you're not going to break the bank uh getting shutter it's a fantastic streaming service with a lot of great original content and a lot of great classic horror content and i think it's worth it to at least you know plunk down the few bucks for a month of it to to check out horror noir the anthology uh, film because uh, a lot of good horror is on the screen when you check that out so uh, check it out when you get a chance and i want to thank everyone for tuning in coming up we've got a lot of stuff as we get ready to round out november ghostbusters afterlife is coming out tomorrow friday the 19th of course monday the 22nd show uh we're going to talk about ghostbusters afterlife i've been waiting for this uh, with such anticipation i cannot wait to check that out uh we're going to be taking thursday the 25th off for thanksgiving that'll give us a chance to uh to enjoy the holiday and of course give you a chance to enjoy the holiday uh, without having to worry about uh, checking out podcasts i know that's going to be the last thing on any of our minds so but i'll be back in the saddle again coming up on monday the 19th we're going to round out november by talking about one of my favorite new ish shows uh, lock and key on netflix the second season came out here 
last month, I believe it was. And I'm such a huge fan of this, this series uh, based on the graphic novel by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. So a lot of King ties here. And it's just such a fun and interesting concept and story that uh, we're going to talk about that coming up. So check out our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, uh, with all the latest trailers and articles. I'm scouring the internet trying to find cool articles on horror, fantasy, and sci-fi to share with you kind of all in one location and always posting uh, different memes and things I can find that uh, may interest us all. So please leave a review, whether you're listening to this on podcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, no matter where. Leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. And we thank you for listening. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.